This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. What's up, guys? It's Joey, and we are back with the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. Uh, you might might be thinking, where's Faraz? He usually does this. Well, Faraz is somewhere on vacation, probably with Von Miller like he was last time. But um, regardless, it's okay because I have someone with me today. Um, he's had a ton of guests on his own podcast, like Ian Hartz, Hartz, Har- Harwitz, Har- I-, I don't want to mess that up, Kyle Yates, Scott Barrett, James Coe, Matthew Betts, Matt, Har- Matt Harmon, Mike Clay, me and Faraz have also been on his show. His name is Alex and he's from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. What's up, Alex? Thanks for joining me. Joey, thank you so much for having me. After having, having you on my show so many times, it's great to finally be on your show, it's a pleasure to be on, and I can't wait to break down some NFC East tonight. Yeah, it feels weird, like me, like hosting this. Not only do I not do this when Faraz is here, but I never have someone else to like host with. So it's a cool feeling. It's nice. It feels good to be running the show for once, right? And we're this show is going to go by my terms, not Faraz's turn. So I, while he's sitting on the beach, hanging out with Von Miller, I hope you're hearing this for us. This is my show now. All right, so. Uh, Let's look at some of the recent news. Not really much in terms of fantasy, but just interesting here. Richard Sherman was arrested for a domestic violence issue, uh, denied bail. Apparently, he had some issue with a cousin or uncle or whatever it was. Um, he was drunk, threatening to kill himself, a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, pretty tricky situation. It seems like he's you know denied bail. He's going to be in jail for a little while. Who knows if he's going to be ready for the season. Um, by the way, if you listen to that call, they shared the 911 call on Twitter. That was the worst 911 dispatcher I've ever heard in my life. I mean, she was just giving, it was Richard Sherman's wife who called. She was like, I'm sorry, ma'am, but I can't understand you when you're yelling. Um, I need you to calm down so I can understand the situation. Like she was just giving so much sad. It was like the worst 911 operator ever. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, A-Rob appears to not be getting an extension prior to the deadline, and uh, neither does Godwin. So both these guys are set to be free agents next year. They did not receive an extension before the franchise tag deadline. Um, Any quick thoughts on that? I mean, did you expect either of these guys to get extended? It seems like Godwin was kind of only hanging around with the franchise tag just so they could keep the same team together. I don't think they ever really had plans of extending him, and the A-Rob situation in Chicago seems to be a little messy right now so I, I don't really expect a deal to get done there either but what are your thoughts on that yeah well with, with Richard Sherman I, I really hope that it's not as true as it's made out to be so far I mean he's he's an older player at this point pretty close to retiring and he's never really had any off the field issues before yeah. um, I could think of so I really hope that this isn't a whole big misunderstanding or something like that 
As for Godwin and A-Rob, I get them not getting a long-term extension, but with the cap being decreased this year and with it going up in the next couple of years, if I'm those guys as great as they are, I'm ready to go cash in next year. I'm ready to get my payment. I'm ready for, if I'm A-Rob, I'm ready to try to find a team with a good quarterback that is willing to pay me, maybe make a reunion to Jacksonville or something with Trevor Lawrence going into his second season. That would be interesting. Chris Godwin too. I think Chris Godwin is super underrated and he deserves to get his. I think both of these guys are seeing that the cap's going to increase next year. And with teams also being able to see the following year with things going back to normal, the cap's going to increase even more, which means more of a bag for them. I think a long-term extension in this market is really tough to do. So I don't, I I didn't really expect one. And for both of those guys, they both deserve to get paid. And I really hope that wherever it is, they both get to do it next year. Absolutely. I'm just hoping uh, Aaron Rodgers doesn't move on from green Bay. Blake Bortles is the starter. And then Allen Robinson is reunited with Blake Bortles, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that doesn't happen. He deserves a good quarterback. That's something he's never had. He deserves a good quarterback and Justin Fields and Andy Dalton are both going to be the best quarterbacks he's ever played with this year, which is nuts. Um, So moving on from that, we did the AFC South last week. Me and Faraz, we talked about Travis Etienne. Uh, We talked about Carson Wentz. We talked about Jonathan Taylor. We talked about all those guys. So this week, we're actually going to the NFC. This is our first NFC episode. We've done all the AFC divisions. Now we're on to the NFC. We have the NFC East today, which means New York Giants, Dallas Cowboys, Washington football team, and Philadelphia Eagles in that order. So as usual, we're going to start with the Giants. We're going to break it down. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. And uh, yeah, let's, let's just jump straight into it with Daniel Jones, right? So Daniel Jones currently has a 14th round ADP. I've seen him either go undrafted or later than that or whatever it might be. Um, The biggest thing with Daniel Jones is obviously he looked awful last year and that, you know, wasn't totally his fault. He had a lot of receivers going in and out of the game. Evan Ingram kept kept dropping some very bad passes, uh, and, but the biggest thing last year was the Giants dropped from 969 plays to 916 plays. So they essentially lost about 60 plays last year, which means 60 less rushing or passing attempts. Um, but now going to this year, he's got Kenny Galladay added. He's got Kadarius Tony. He's got Kyle Rudolph for what that's, what that's worth. Um, you know, offensive line another year together. Saquon Barkley coming back from injury. So I think, at least in my opinion, this is going to be a situation where DJ either makes or breaks, right? And if he makes, he could be value. But I think what's also um, kind of the issue here is that Daniel Jones had value last year for a couple games or so because of his ability on the ground. He had about over 400 rushing yards on the ground. And with having all these different weapons and having Saquon back, you can kiss that goodbye. I really don't think he's going to get near any of that on the ground. He's still going to be efficient as a runner. Doesn't mean he can't get over 200 or close to 300 yards on the ground. But if you're looking for that week-to-week huge rushing floor from Daniel Jones, you're not going to get that. Um, Also, he had the eighth most interceptable passes in 2020. So it's... You know, as a passer, I don't know if he's really proved anything yet in the league. Uh, what are your thoughts on Daniel Jones? Is he worth a stab at the end of the draft, or he's just someone you're staying away from? I think he's absolutely worth a stab. 
Um, I think in his career so far and his in and out splits with Saquon Barkley, he's averaged over 20 fantasy points a game in his games with Saquon Barkley, which alone I think is pretty impressive. And again, I'm not saying that Daniel Jones is Josh Allen at all. I think if anything, he's a poor man's Josh Allen because he does have a little bit of rushing upside. And I think again, like we saw what Diggs did last year, I'm not saying Kenny Galladay step on Diggs. I'm not saying that, but when you add someone in that is a clear wide receiver one and you add that to that offense And then you bring back a guy that talent-wise is probably a top three running back in the entire NFL, and you add that for any quarterback. That's really interesting. And then we've seen Daniel Jones put up big fantasy games before. He's put up big games. I'm not saying Daniel Jones is going to be a real-life great quarterback. I don't really think so. But I don't think this defense is amazing. He's going as the QB 19 right now, and I think he's one of the best guys to take a flyer on. There's not many QBs that are going outside the top 12 right now that have as good of weapons as Daniel Jones does. He was PFF's leading deep ball passer last year, which actually helps Kenny Galladay. I don't love Kenny Galladay fantasy. We can talk about that later. But again, there's not many guys that have that many great weapons. He's averaged over 20 points a game in fantasy with Saquon Barkley playing. And then you add Kenny Galladay to that. There's a real path for him being a top 12 quarterback. I think that he's a guy that if you don't draft a quarterback till late and you want to take two quarterbacks, I'm fine with taking like a Matthew Stafford or Joe Burrow going around QB 12 or 13 and say, okay, hey, let me throw Daniel Jones on my bench or a Trey Lance or someone like that that has a lot of upside and some good weapons. I'm totally willing to do that. I think Daniel Jones is very interesting for fantasy next year. Absolutely. I, I can get behind most of that. I, I think for Daniel Jones is going to come out to, first of all, the offensive line, because the Giants offensive line was 31st in the league last year, according to PFF. So not a good look for Daniel Jones. I don't think I, I was surprised they didn't spend that first round draft pick on um, someone like Rashawn Slater, who they thought they might have been able to get before they traded back or um, just any offensive lineman, especially a guard, which is really where they're missing. Kevin Zeitler just got traded to the Ravens this last offseason. So that offensive line is going to be an issue. But let's go to getting out right now because you mentioned something interesting about Daniel Jones's deep ball accuracy. Um, funny enough, Daniel Jones has the seventh highest deep ball completion percentage in the entire league last year. And that was with guys like Darius Slayton, uh, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram dropping every single pass thrown his way. So Considering Kenny Galladay in 2019, right? Now I'm going to talk about Kenny 2019 because in 2020, he had that mysterious hip injury, aka the contract, <laughs> that kept him out for a ton of games. Um, but yeah, in 2019 with Matt Stafford, Galladay caught just 65 out of 116 targets. He only had seven drops, so there's 44 targets totally unaccounted for. Uh, it could be a combination of Stafford. It could be Galladay's route running. Who knows? But ultimately... Daniel Jones having the seventh highest deep ball completion percentage. If there's one thing he's doing right, he's accurate downfield. If there's one thing Kenny Galladay does right, it's getting down the field and using his massive size to uh, get open and catch those contested, uh, get those contested catches. So if Galladay can see over 100 targets, which is very possible in this offense, right? Um, with Sterling Shepard, Kadarius Tony, Saquon Barkley, and all these other guys, it may not seem that likely. But if he's truly the wide receiver one in New York, and they I believe they paid him to be that. It shouldn't be far, hard for him to get over 100 targets. Um, and he doesn't need a ton of volume either, right? Like 100 targets is great, but if he sees 90 and he catches 55 or close to 60, he might return some late wide receiver two value 
just based on yards per reception and stuff alone. So I know you said you're not a huge fan of Kenny Galladay. He's someone who's been growing on me a little bit as I've seen his ADP start to fall as like other guys like Jamar Chase and Tyler Lockett start to trend upwards. But what are your thoughts on Galladay? Would you take him in the fifth round? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I would. And again, maybe again, I didn't like Stefan Diggs last year. So maybe, I mean, fool me once, fool me twice. <laughs> Um, and Kenny Galladay could be that, especially when he gets not, I don't know about a QB upgrade at all. I think it's definitely a downgrade. Okay. I think it's actually a more crowded offense than people think. I don't like Kadarius Tony as a prospect at all, yeah. but he's someone that's still going to get targets. Saquon's still going to get targets. Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, all guys that are going to get targets. And I just think that it's, it's a guy where Kenny Galladay's upside is just capped at this point, um, especially with a downgrade in QB play and this, I mean, again, Daniel Jones is amazing this year, which is possible, and I hope it happens. Shout out to Stephanie Smalls. I know she loves Daniel Jones. We'll see what happens. But, again, just because of the crowded offense last year, he only played five games last year. I just don't think he has the ceiling that I'm looking for. But, again, maybe he is a lot better than we think he is, and maybe Daniel Jones will have a breakout year. I'm just betting against that happening. I'd rather take someone like a T. Higgins or a Deontay Johnson that's going right around that range that I think have higher ceilings than Kenny Galladay do right now especially when again Kenny Galladay unless he gets like 120 or more targets I just don't think he can finish in the wide receiver one unless he gets the proper volume could he do it yes but I just am going to bet on against I just rather take other guys in that range right now yeah definitely see that and like I said if he, if he can get over 100 targets I think he can return wide receiver due value he doesn't need 150 targets to return that type of value but yeah I, I definitely see your points um I don't really have too much on these other wide receivers Kadarius Tony, he's got the first round draft capital. I have no interest for fantasy reasons. If you're in a really deep league and you want to take a shot on, for, on a guy with the first round draft capital, sure, do it. Maybe they have a certain plan for him. Maybe they don't. But the only guys I'm really interested in this offense are going to be Saquon. It's going to be Kenny Galladay to a point. Um, and then Evan Ingram, we'll talk about in a little bit. Still not another guy I'm not too hot on. But um, yeah, so Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Kadarius Tony. Do you have any late round interest in any of these guys or are you not even considering them? Well, I, I think here's the thing. It goes both ways. So sure. if I had to pick one, I think Shepard's definitely my guy here. I mean, again, sure. he's, he's the wide receiver 66 right now. I know in Matt Harmon's reception perception, big thing on my podcast, I mean, again, showing, I mean, showing she- Sir, Sterling Shepard going into <laughs> last year was one of three players that beat the 80. 80- and impress coverage that had not had in a thousand yard season. And the only other two guys that hadn't done it besides him before last year that were going into like their third year later was Calvin Ridley. And then Curtis Samuel, Curtis Samuel is still getting better. He's improved his receiving yards all four years of his career. So maybe if he does it in year five, he finally does it. Calvin Ridley did it last year. Sterling Shepard's the only guy in that history to never do it so far. That's since 2014. So I think, again, I think Sterling Shepard's a solid player. And I think with Kenny Galladay, it allows Sterling Shepard to really sit in the slot. There's no more Golden Tate. Um, Shepard would be the guy I'd go for. But again, I just rather target guys like a John Brown or an Elijah Moore real wide receiver one on their team right now and i think those are the guys that i'd rather target than shepherd but again if you want to take a giants receiver i think shepherd is absolutely the guy right now yeah i can get behind that shepherd's a guy who was pretty high on last year i got him towards the end in a ton of drafts so i definitely see that point but now let's look at the running backs here let's look at saquon barkley specifically because there's not really much else to talk about in this backfield uh wayne gallman left this offseason they signed Devonte booker to a two-year, five-and-a-half million deal. Um, it, it's likely Booker is the handcuff here. Um, they did draft a guy, Gary 
the name is eluding me now, but they drafted a guy pretty late. So there's a chance there's some competition, but ultimately it looks like Devontae Booker is going to be the backup to Saquon Barkley. Um, now, Saquon Barkley last year coming off a torn ACL, MCL, and meniscus, that that's rough. That's that's a lot to overcome. And I guess if you're going to put money on any of these guys overcoming it, it's going to be Barkley. But at the same time, um, I already mentioned the Giants had the 31st graded offensive line in 2020. He's not going to come back into a great situation. A lot of times after these serious injuries, these players are more susceptible to things like hamstring strains and stuff like that. So he might, you know, you, you might be able to write in a couple missed games or Barkley here and there. It's you, we got to see how the season rolls around right now. He's looking like he's a hundred percent, but once you put the head pads on and once, uh, you know, training camp comes around, that might be different. So, but when he's on the field, he's an undeniable workhorse. There's definitely still value there. Obviously uh, Wayne Galman was the running back seven from week seven to 14 when he got that starting role locked. So he had 15 points per game. So even though this offensive line is bad, it was good enough to support Wayne Gallon being Gallon being a top 10 running back. So yeah, I mean, if you're picking fifth in your drafts, fifth overall, do you take Saquon Barkley, assuming the first four is uh, Dalvin, Henry, Kamara, and CMC? Do you take Barkley there or do you pivot to Ezekiel Elliott, Jonathan Taylor, or wide receiver what, what is your play if you're picking fifth because that's that's a, that's a question i get asked a lot hey i'm picking fifth is barkley worth taking here is there too much risk with injury or what i'm fine with taking barkley as high as four i think in, in half ppr okay. leagues at least i think in in ppr i would still take barkley as high as four thing in half ppr i'd probably take barkley fifth after zeke and i'd have kamara six just because i think the pass catching upside might be limited if Taysom hill gets that role which seems 50 50 right now sure conversation for another day but i like <laughs> barkley i'm actually matthew betts on my podcast the fantasy footballers and he's an injury specialist and he actually said because of his freakish athleticism and how long ago that he hurt his acl that he actually said that saquon should be full go I think so often in fantasy, people like to talk about, okay, well, he's missed 17 out of his 32 games over the last two years. But at the end of the day, if there's multiple people, and I have another guy coming on my podcast tomorrow to talk about injuries, Edwin Porras of Fantasy Points. I don't mean to shout that out, but again, we're going to talk about Saquon too. And if those guys are both saying to me that both know way more about injuries than I ever will, or you probably ever will, oh, absolutely. decide to go to medical school, who knows? But um, again, I, I digress. I think at the end of the day, if those guys are both saying Saquon Barkley is going to be fully healthy this year. No concern for injuries. Why wouldn't you take him top four at the end of the day? I'm not saying that Saquon Barkley is back to being a top three running back and stuff like that. I don't like this offensive line. I don't like where his rookie year, he had 119 targets. And I think his upside is capped right now because, again, we talked about this crowded offense, and I don't think that he can hit 119 targets. Even 100 is really pushing it for the weapons that they have in this offense now compared to his rookie year. And, again, I think at the end of the day, I'm willing to take the talent at RB4, RB5, because I think he's massively talented. But it does worry me a little, worry me a little bit about the offensive line, the lack of ceiling for targets at least. But again, he's still one of the most talented running backs on the planet. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a top three season. So I'm willing to take him as a top five running back. I probably will um, in half PPR, PPR, and standard. It just matters who. I'm, I might take someone different above him, like Kamara, number four in sure. PPR versus Zeke in half PPR. But again, I think Saquon is a top five running back for me still. Absolutely. And I think when, when you say cap on targets, cap on targets for 
any other player would be like, oh, 20, 30. But a cap on targets for Saquon Barkley is going to be like 60, uh, 70. You know what I mean? It's not exactly. going to, he's not going to hit the 120 or whatever that he did in this rookie year. But uh, the, the cap is very different for Saquon than it is for other players. So I just wanted to clarify that real quick. Let's move on to the tight ends because Evan Ingram, Kyle Rudolph, you know, kind of a messy situation. Ingram isn't in a situation where he has to be that number one playmaker for this team. Barkley's back and you have Kenny Galladay there. So I think targets are definitely going to be down for him. Uh, he had 10 drops last year and a lot of very ugly ones. I mean, there were some plays where if, if Evan Ingram caught this, maybe the Giants win this game. But when, when the pressure was on, he couldn't show up. Um, I'm not necessarily worried about Rudolph. He's almost 32 years old. He ran routes on less than 70% of his snaps. He had 37 total targets last year. He's not as much of a threat as he has been in recent years. He is still a threat in the uh, red zone, which could take away some opportunities from Evan Ingram. And uh, obviously you have Kenny Galladay as well, a massive receiver who could take away opportunities in that spot as well. So when it comes to tight ends, it doesn't take a lot. Like it's not going to take much for Ingram to be a top 15, even top 10 tight end. Uh, I, I just don't really, I, I just don't really love the upside, especially after the drop struggles last year. Maybe it's kind of a split between him and Rudolph. Um, what, what's your thoughts on Evan Ingram? Is he someone you're considering if you pass on tight end early, or is he someone you're not even looking at? I, I think I would be fine with Evan Ingram if Kyle Rudolph wasn't there. But I think it's <laughs> yeah. like even like Jason Witten last year I was worried about for the Raiders. Just the fact, I mean, that, that that's obviously a whole different thing. Yeah. But again, just the fact that. Kyle Rudolph is talented enough that he's going to be on the field and they still paid him enough. Yeah. I mean, they gave him a solid chunk of money. Like people like to talk about sometimes. So I think he's going to be on the field at least. And again, we already talked about how crowded this offense is. And I just rather target someone like a Blake Jarwin who we'll talk about later or not Blake, sorry, not Blake Jarwin, even Blake Jarwin or <laughs> even someone like Adam Troutman or Gerald Everett or something yeah. that has a clear path to targets where, I mean, Evan Ingram could be like fourth or fifth in this team in targets. He's not going to be ahead of Galladay. He's not going to be ahead of Saquon. And I'm going to bet that at least one out of their other three wide receivers or even a John Ross or something might target him. And then you have Kyle Rudolph, who's a red zone threat. So where's where's Evan Ingram's upside? I love the talent. I think that he just hasn't been able to do it yet. But I think just the fact that there's so many other guys in this offense and they added a tight end this year, that's going to be a red zone threat. I just, again, I think the biggest thing when you're drafting tight ends late is you have to have someone that has a ceiling. Like we saw with Robert Tunyon last year or Logan Thomas or someone that has a legitimate top five ceiling. Those are the guys that I want to draft as a tight end, like as a tight end right now in the late drafts. I don't want to draft Evan Ingram right now at tight end 15 or 16 and be like, oh, well, he finished his tight end 11. So I'm like, I'm, I'm proud of myself. No, <laughs> no. Tight end 12 over the last four years has averaged only seven points per game. Yep. Maybe Evan Ingram can be a, ten, a tight end 10 or 11. That's seven points per game. That's not going to help you week to week. You need to be drafting a guy with legitimate upside that could finish as a top five tight end, and Evan Ingram does not do that for you. So I'm not drafting Evan Ingram in any league, but I wish him the absolute best. <laughs> We're on the same page there. Same page there. All right, so that's going to wrap up the New York Giants. Uh, let's move on to the Dallas Cowboys here. So start with the quarterback, Dak Prescott, coming off that – Ugly injury. I think all of us saw that on TV. And it was a Thanksgiving. No, it wasn't Thanksgiving. I think it was earlier than that. It was a primetime game. That's all I remember. But um, dislocated and compound fracture in his ankle. Not pretty. Um, but you know, what was pretty was before he got hurt, 
in those four games. So he had, he played five games. He got hurt like about midway through that fifth game. So in the first four games, which is what I'm going to go off of here, he was on pace for over 7,000 yards. Obviously, very small sample size. It would have not ended up that way, at least we think. But um, what's notable here is with Dak, the Cowboys ran 75 plays per game. And without Dak, they ran 51 plays per game. So that cuts down a lot of opportunity for these guys, you know, Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Gallup, Zeke, whoever. And we'll talk about them in a little bit. But he's going into 2020 supposedly healthy. He's got these guys at his disposal. He only got to play with C.D. Lamb for four games. So he's going into 2021 with Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb year two, Michael Gallup still there, Ezekiel Elliott back at full health. That offensive line, more specifically back at full health. Um, I'll, I'll mention this now. It's in my notes for Zeke, but, you know, we'll pick around a little bit here. Um, throughout 2020, the Cowboys had games without Tyrone Smith, Zach Martin, Cameron Irving, and others. By November alone, the Cowboys had 15 different starting offensive line units. So that doesn't even include losing, losing Travis Frederick prior to the season. So, yeah, he, he didn't really have much to work with as far as an offensive line. Same goes for Zeke and a couple of these other guys. Um, his mobility going into 2021 is expected, you know, obviously he's not going to do as well on the ground coming off this type of injury, but he could still sling it and he very much will with these targets. So what's your feeling on Dak? Do you see him as a value? I see him as someone who could finish as the QB one overall, and you can get him in the fifth, sixth round, as opposed to getting someone like Patrick Mahomes in the third, Josh Allen in the fourth, whatever it might be. So what's your thoughts on Dak? Is there too much risk with the injury or is he someone you're targeting? I don't think there's any risk. Again, I directed the Matthew um, Betts podcast that I had. Sure. Is he with the Dak thing, with the amount of time that he's had off and what it is and what we've already seen from him in videos, it looks like he's going to be fully healthy. I mean, sure, maybe the rushing upside might not be as there much because he might be a little afraid to run. But again, this is a guy that was the QB2 the last time we saw him play full season. That doesn't even include last season. Yeah. But I think last year's a little overblown. They had a super easy schedule in those Absolutely. four games. And the fact that they they passed 201 times in those four games. I mean, they were averaging over 50 pass attempts a game. So I think that's ridiculous. But again, this defense didn't get much better. I still think they're going to be a bad defense. I still think they're going to play a lot from behind. I think Dak is still a top five quarterback for me. He'd probably be number five. Um, I would take – I mean, I'd take Kyler, I mean, Lamar, Josh Allen, and Mahomes over him. But Dak would be right at five. I'd definitely take Dak easily over Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, the guys going in that next year. Dak's absolutely a top five QB for me. And I think you're right. Because of the weapons he has all around, my goodness, he could absolutely be the QB one this year. So I'm totally fine buying Dak as a top five quarterback right now. Absolutely. So since we're, you know, we're staying on the topic of quarterback, I'm just going to skip around to wide receiver here. Um, I mentioned the plays per game, but the passing plays per game, you mentioned it over 50. He had actually 64 pass attempts per game uh, with Dak Prescott in the four, first four games, not including the fifth game. Wow. So it was 64 pass attempts per game. Obviously way overblown. It, it may not be 64 last year. Yeah, I'll be very surprised if it is. But what's really interesting also is that the Cowboys actually had the number one pass plays per game, even without Dak for the entirety of the year. So even after Dak got hurt, they were still slinging it a ton. And when you have Dak healthy in, in that, uh, you know, behind center, they're, they're still going to sling it. And that's my point here to where Amari Cooper, CD Lamb, and Michael Gallup all have value. Uh, a lot of people like to shit on Amari Cooper. A lot of people like to say that he's inconsistent. 
But even with Andy Dalton and Ben DiNucci and whatever the hell else happened last year, he still only had three bad games, right? One, he was lined up against Bradbury, and that was the game Dak got hurt. Two, it was when Ben DiNucci completed 52% of his passes. Uh, And last one, he only had three targets against San Francisco. So obviously there's excuses for everything out there. But in the end, like if if Dak is truly going to be throwing this much, there's no way Cooper and Lamb don't have enough to both eat and both be wide receiver ones potentially. Um, CD Lamb, I do like him better than Amari. That being said, oh, you, you you do not like this. You do not like this. So what about Amari Cooper? What do you, what do you want to say about Amari Cooper? Amari Cooper's played six seasons in the NFL, okay? If you're listening into a podcast right now and you're doing the dishes, listen up for 60 seconds, Okay. This is why you don't want Amari Cooper. He's played six seasons in the NFL. Here are his positional points per game finishes over his six seasons. 30, 37, 22, 21, 14, and 22. His highest is 14 in six seasons. He's going as the consensus wide receiver 14 right now. And that is his best points per game finish of his entire career. And that wasn't even last year. And again, could he be great with Dak? Absolutely. But he's going into his seventh season. He's never finished above wide receiver 14 in points per game. Of course, door durability is great. But at the end of the day, Amari Cooper isn't consistent. His highest finish is 14 in points per game. And he's been outside the top 20 in five out of his six years. And then you add someone in like CeeDee Lamb, who's getting unreal reports out of OTAs and so far saying that this guy is going to be amazing and CD lamb's going cheaper. I don't know why you're drafting Amari Cooper when you can get CD lamb like 10 or, I mean, or 20 spots later in some drafts when he could be even better than Dak, especially when they have one of the most difficult schedules for wide receivers in the NFL. And that really benefits slot guys. Cause that's where the least coverage goes. And lamb played slots 87% of the time last year. Again, don't draft Amari Cooper. Draft CD Lamb. I don't like Amari Cooper. He's inconsistent. I already listened to his finishes. I'm going to shut up about him. But just draft CD Lamb. Don't draft Amari Cooper all day, every day. Here's my rebuttal on Amari Cooper, though, because your whole thing here seems to be like he hasn't done it. He hasn't been a, you said a wide receiver 14 has been his best year, right? So I have him at wide receiver 14 and I don't necessarily consider that his floor, right? If you look at his past, that's what he's done. But if you look at his past, you also look at a guy who in seven seasons has had six seasons over a thousand yards. So he's been consistent as a receiver. He's getting a ton of targets and this is clear far and away his best situation ever. Right. I mean, there's, he's literally never been in, in Dallas with Dak completely healthy behind with the most passing plays per game in the entire NFL. That is far and away his best situation. Yes. You see CD lamb there, but if the Cowboys are truly going to throw almost 700 times this year, there's plenty for Cooper to have over hundred targets, be a potential low wide receiver one. Do I like CD lamb better? Absolutely. I do. I like CD lamb better. Uh, I'll get into that now a little bit. You mentioned his plays in the slot. He had 621 snaps in the slot. That was second in the entire league. So he's going to have the best matchups on a week-to-week basis. But I think there's still plenty here for Amari Cooper. Um, should he be going in front of CD Lamb? Absolutely not. So if there's truly CD Lamb being taken 20 spots after Cooper, 10 times out of 10 times, I'm going to take CD Lamb. But I still think there is value with a guy like Amari Cooper if you can get him getting up fourth because I think he can offer wide receiver one upside, at least in this offense. Um, Gallup, anyone, is he someone you're interested in? For me, he's kind of the odd man out here. He's going to have 
good. Uh, if Amari Cooper is truly taking away that number one coverage, Gallup is going to have the optimal coverage on the outside. He'll have his games here and there, but I don't think it's something that you can really rely on at a week to week basis. So what are your thoughts on Gallup? And if you have any further rebuttal on Amari Cooper? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to say anything else about Amari Cooper. I, I just think that again, with how crowded this offense is, I just don't think the ceiling is enough there for where you're drafting Amari Cooper right now. And you could draft C.E. Lamb later again. I know you where you, we agree on that. Sure, I sure. just don't see the ceiling there when they're getting Blake Jarwin back. who's a much better tight end than Dalton Schultz. Zeke's averaged three more targets per game when he plays with Dak than without Dak. I know there's more pass attempts per game, but again, just because of how crowded this offense is, and I think C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup are very talented. I think Michael Gallup is an awesome player, but the same argument I just meant is, again, when you're drafting Michael Gallup, this is the same argument. Again, like I understand Michael Gallup is probably going to finish 10 to 12 spots above where his ADP right now, but again, for people that are listening to this, you're either playing with nine 11 or 15 other people in your fantasy league drafting Michael Gallup, who's going to finish five spots or 10 spots above his wide receiver ADP is not going to win your league out of other like nine or 11 or 15 other people. That's not going to win your league at the end of the day. The people that are going to win your league are guys like John Brown or Elijah Moore or someone like Antonio Brown that has top five upside before. And he's done it not like, or get guys like, I mean, Elijah Moore or someone like that can be the wide receiver one in that offense. Michael Gallup at best is going to be the third target in this Dallas offense, probably the fourth target with Zeke. And then you have Blake Jarwin in there who's siphoning away carries, I mean, siphoning away targets. Michael Gallup is a phenomenal player. He's a great player, but the ceiling is just not there. He's probably going to beat his ADP. He has done it every year but he's just not going to win you your league because the ceiling is not there. When you're playing in a league with at least nine other guys at minimum, you want to win your frigging league. And the only way you're going to win it is hitting someone that's going in that same range as Gallup that ends up as a wide receiver two or something crazy like that, because that's going to win your league, not your Michael Gallup. That's going to average an extra one or two points per game than your wide receiver three would anyway. Uh, Again, I just don't get it with Michael Gallup. I see the value and I don't blame people for that, but that's not going to win you your league at the end of the day. And when you see those ESPN posts about where these are the top 10 guys that were on these championship teams, you don't see Michael Gallup's on there. You don't see Marvin Jones on there. You don't see Nick Chubb's on there. You don't see guys like that that don't have the ceiling at the end of the day. And I'm sure they might be great value plays. They might be high floor plays. But at the end of the day, you need guys that are going to win you your league, especially when you're competing with so many people. That's why I stay away from people like Michael Gallup. Absolutely. I'm, I'm in agreement there. I, I think the upside with Gallup comes if Amari Cooper or CD Lamb get hurt. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I'm not betting on that. Yeah, no, you, you definitely don't want to bet on that. Um, his ADP is fair. I believe he's going after the 10th round. And if you, hey, if you're in a tough spot and you need a guy who has week-to-week upside, sure, he's a boomer bust option. There's going to be games where he has big games. So that, that's really the only upside he possesses. Can I say, can I say one more thing about that? That's one thing that I should also mention, though, besides my rant about that. If you need Michael Gallup just to plug a hole on your team, fine. If you need a wide receiver three, you went super ton of running backs early, and then you picked your quarterback and your tight end, and you're struggling to find wide receivers at the end. I don't mind taking Michael Gallup because, okay, I need someone that's solid that's still going to get me like eight to ten points a game. If you're using him to plug a hole, fine. But again, I'd just rather go for guys that are stealing. But I don't mind taking someone like that that's going in that range. It's just going to plug a hole and fill a role for you. I don't mind that at the end of the day. But again, like I said, you've heard my ceiling rant already, and you know where I stand on that. But I don't mind someone taking him to plug a hole. So, and I just want to add one more thing about Mark Cooper, because this is just going to be the Amari Cooper podcast, but that's how we're done with it. But um, I mean, look, if, if Tampa 
with Gronk, with the running backs, with Leonard Fournette getting involved in the passing game, with Antonio Brown, with Chris Godwin, with Mike Evans. If Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown can all be fantasy relevant, I mean, we're just asking for Amari and CD here, right? Like, I, I think that's so possible in what's going to be the best passing offense in the entire NFL. That's the last thing I'll say about Mari Cooper. Let's move on to Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Um, look, a lot of people are shitting on Zeke. If you had Zeke, you got burned that second half of the year. Was it his fault? I mean, he played through a hamstring strain. By the way, you know Zeke has never, ever, ever, ever in his entire career missed a full game due to injury. That's crazy. Never. He's missed games because of suspensions. I think uh, he had suspensions. I think that's literally it. He was suspended that one year. Uh, if he missed another game, it was because they were in the playoffs and they didn't want to use him, so they used Tony Pollard or whatever. But he has never missed a game due to injury. Last year, he dealt with a hamstring strain. He played through it that second half. We already talked about the offensive line. You spoke a little bit about the effect of having Dak on the field versus not having Dak on the field. Um, as a runner back, a lot of people say like, oh, Tony Pollard's going to come in and take those receptions. Zeke ran the second most routes for all running backs in 2020. So I really don't see a world where Pollard comes in. And not to say Pollard isn't a talented running back at all. Just speaking to Zeke is clearly the workhorse in this backfield. He is well worth that top five, top six pick. The offensive line is back to full health. I, I got no problem taking him early. I know a couple, a couple people got burned last year. And, hey, if that makes Zeke a better value this year, I'm all for it. But uh, what's your feeling on Zeke? I think you have a pretty similar feeling. Yeah, I think people are ridiculous if you feel like you got burned on Zeke. <laughs> I, I get that he didn't return the value that you drafted him at, but Zeke playing through a hamstring strain, playing without Dak, and having almost their entire offensive line super injured for the entire year, still finished as a top 12 running back last year, period. His situation couldn't have been any worse whatsoever and he was still an rb1 that's his four why not draft a guy like that that his four is that running back one but he still has that ceiling where he was like a top three running back in fan while Dak was still there last year so i think zeke's absolutely amazing like you said he's only missed game because of suspension and even last year when the situation couldn't get any worse he was still an rb1 still running the second most routes and again like we you talk about money earlier and I don't like the argument, but again, then you can say, okay, well, they're paying him $16 million a year. They're not going to play Pollard over him. Jerry Jones doesn't play like that. When has Jerry Jones ever played like that? So I think again, Zeke has the upside. He clearly has the floors. He was an RB one last year. And I think that this offense is going to be a lot better with Dak. Their offensive line is going to be a lot more healthy. And then you can make the argument about how all those pass catchers and other guys make it so they can't ever stack the box against Zeke. Um, I absolutely love Zeke this year. And I think that he is a for sure top five running back in every single format right now. And I'm willing to draft him easy at running back six or seven where he's going in consensus right now because people think he's just not the same anymore. He was second in expected fantasy points last year in the entire NFL. He, he was the leader in not producing like, like in running back points less than exception like the points that he was supposed to get and not getting there he led the nfl in that but that's usually something that seems to regress to the mean at the end of the day i don't think zeke is still the otherworldly talent maybe he once was his rookie year but again he's a guy that at floor is a running back one this year and i take that every single day of the week especially when he still has a top three ceiling especially in this offense yeah and i think jerry jones is always pulling the strings for this dallas cowboy team and he's an old-fashioned guy He's an old guy and he's an old fashioned guy. So he wants Zeke going out there. He wants the same guy going out there. I mean, he had Emmett Smith for like 12 years running that offense. So yeah, it, it, I, I don't see that changing. Um, moving on to the tight ends here. 
it seems like the more we've been talking about this Dallas team, the more I find out that you are big on Jake Blake Jarwin. Are you, are you, is that, would that be true or? Yeah. Yeah. I like Blake Jarwin a lot. Uh, Blake Jarwin is going as a tight end 18 right now. Dalton friggin' Schultz, who is the most unathletic tight end in the world, <laughs> finished the tight end 14 last year without Dak. He was a tight end 12 in the four and a half games with Dak last year. And again, I, I think that I don't expect Blake Jarwin to play 100% of the snaps coming off a 20 ACL, but I think he's clearly the more talented guy. And if Dalton Schultz can finish as the tight end 14 without Dak last year, imagine what Blake Jarwin can do with it. And I think that Blake Jarwin, a lot of people were hyping him up last year for a lot of good reason. And again, from these things that I keep talking about, these fantasy doctors that I'm learning this year is the fact that people coming off the ACL, of course, there's more of a risk for re-injury. Most players return to form pretty quickly after the ACL, especially when he tore the ACL in week one. It's not like he tore it in this late December in week 16 or 17. It was the very first game of the season. So again, he's had a lot of time to recover. That was last September. And I think that Blake Jarwin could definitely be a solid value in a late round tight end that I'm definitely looking to take in a high powered offense. I don't think the ceiling is there, but again, just because again, Dalton Schultz, the borderline tight end one without him, without Dak. So I think that Blake Jarwin can actually do it. But again, I can make the argument before you could say, hey, Alex, you just preached about they need to have a top five upside. So in that sense, maybe don't take Blake Jarwin at the end of the day, because I don't think he has a top five or six ceiling at the end of the day. That's probably why I'd fade him. Uh, I think there's an argument for him. And I, I just made the argument why you should take him. But again, in this offense, when he's going to be the fifth target, fifth best target at best without injury, he's probably not someone I would take. So I'll actually now this podcast for the first time. Dude, I, I love that. You just argued with yourself. I, I, <laughs> you just debated yourself and i just sat back and watched that was that was awesome um so you already mentioned like charwood coming off that torn acl i yeah like like you said i i think blake jarwin's clearly the better tight end here i think dalton schultz as you mentioned very unathletic tight end good position good possession tight end though right like he had a game where he racked up a ton of catches so that that's what makes me uncertain about maybe they liked Schultz in that type of role maybe he'll be the possession type guy and then Jarwin will be coming to the red zone or whatever they might take it easy on him one thing that I'd be interested in is when you have Edwin Portis on your podcast um see if you could ask him if recovery from ACLs has if the recovery period has shortened over the last couple of years because it sounds like a lot of these things that we're saying like oh you know he's gonna be fine he's gonna be fine feels like a couple of years ago, it was like, oh, torn ACL, you can't even touch him next year, right? So I wonder if there's been any new treatments or anything like that that's really shortened the recovery time. So that's something I'd be really, really interested in. Um, throw that to him, and then we'll update in the podcast next week. I'll get in touch with you. Let me know how that is, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about it on here. But that's that would be awesome if you could bring that up to him because I'm really curious yeah, about that. Absolutely, Ken. Awesome. Awesome. So that's going to cover Dallas Cowboys. That's going to cover the New York Giants. Let's move on to the Washington football team. It's still a football team. It's 2021. They said that it, it seems like they have a name picked out. They, they've canceled out the Warriors. It's not going to be the Washington Warriors. It's going to be nothing Native American related. Um, what would be your pick for the Washington team? Mine is the Washington Red Wolves. I think that'd be awesome. I'm not even a Washington team, but Washington Red Wolves is one of the names I, I like saw that. early on last year that I fell in love with. I like that a lot. I like the Red Wolves. I'm, I'm actually with that more than the name I was going to bring up. I was going to say the Washington Wolf Pack. I think that flows well off the tongue. I think the Wolf Pack is kind of a kind of a sick name. And to see like a wolf 
or yeah. wolves, wolves, something like that as an NFL logo would be really cool. So if it's the red wolves or the wolf pack, whatever it is, I'm, I'm happy. I think as long as it starts with, has it has wolves in it, I think I'd be really happy. <laughs> Maybe the Washington walruses. I mean, that would be like, that would, that would probably be like the, the Nickelodeon like game they put on there. They'd be like the Washington walruses for the time. And I don't know. I can get on a whole nother. Sounds like when you that. can create your own team in Madden oh, yeah, exactly. many moons ago, you can create exactly. your own teams and uniforms. Yes. By the way, great feature, very upset that it hasn't been on there in like years. Just Absolutely. awful Madden. Um, but anyway, let's get into this team. So quarterback, we have a new quarterback in town, but he's not new to this league at all. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, look, I, I, he isn't really being drafted in a lot of leagues. If he is being drafted, he's drafted late. A lot of people view him as this high upside backup quarterback. I'm not in that boat, right? Like I understand he's had a couple good years, but in his career, he's been so inconsistent. He's either been a backup or he's been, you know, he has his big years, but when he's had his big years, it's been with offensive coordinator, Chan Gailey. If you think of all his best seasons, it's really been with Chan Gailey. With Gailey, Fitz has averaged 3,600 yards, 24 touchdowns, and 19 touch, 19 interceptions. By the way, the amount of interceptions this guy has thrown throughout his entire career, he might be setting some sort of record. I mean, this dude just throws so many picks. And that's another reason why I think when it comes to the end of this year, if Ryan Fitzpatrick is not playing to the level of Uh, how he did in 2015 with Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, or how he did with uh, Miami last year when he actually played or the year before. If he's not playing to that level, I think there's a world where Taylor Heineke comes in at the end of the year and they see what he's got, right? Because they didn't draft a quarterback early. So maybe they think they have something in Heineke. And I think when it comes to the end of the year, it's kind of stupid to not see, right? So for the Texans, I imagine if Watson's not playing, if it's Tyrod Taylor, even if Tyrod Taylor does good enough throughout the entire year, you play Davis Mills for two or three games at the end of the year to see what you have, to see if you have anything that you could build towards your future. That's how I feel about Taylor Heineke. I think he did well enough in the playoffs when he played last year, not, not to not only earn a roster spot as he has, but maybe there's some potential for him to be a starter for this team. And you don't know. There's just the unknown with him. So I'm worried about Ryan Fitzpatrick's inconsistency and not playing with offensive corner Shane Gailey. Is his job really that secure? Regardless, he's still the best quarterback Terry McLaurin's ever going to play with. But what are your thoughts on Ryan Fitzpatrick? Is he someone who you're interested in? Is he just kind of there? How, how do you feel about him? I like I like him. Uh, I, I think for fantasy, he's an interesting player. I think people need some interesting takes about him. But PFF did a study about him, whether like how good he can actually be for this offense. And sure. he was he was a middle of the road quarterback in just about every every metric. That's all they need him to be. They don't need yeah. him to be great. But Alex Smith was near the bottom in every single metric. Oh, last yeah. year. Fitzpatrick was solid again. The Shane Gailey thing is interesting. Maybe he won't be able to do it. But, but I think when you have I mean, it is it is Antonio Gibbs season. I can't wait to talk about that. But let me give him someone like Terry McLaurin, who might be the best wide receiver hot take that he's ever played with in his career. I love Curtis Samuel. I think Dynami Brown's interesting. Logan Thomas is a solid player. And I still think Antonio Gibson is a great receiving back. They still have J.D. McKissick, who got the job last year done. They had a top 10 offensive line last year. They have a great defense. He has all the tools that he could possibly need at this point in his career to get things done. Has he ever done it in a season where he is the starter? Really? 
No, but again, I think that with all these weapons, I think this is the best chance that he probably has the end of his career to do it. And maybe I'm just getting a little too excited about Ryan Fitzmagic and Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin. But again, I think he's going to do it this year. So we'll see. The funny thing with Ryan Fitzmagic is he, he's never magic when you need him to be. He's always magic when yeah. you least expect it, right? That's, that's been the story with him. Yeah. Um, he. And just another thing here, without Chan Gailey as his offensive coordinator, he's only played more, he's only started more than 12 games once in 10 seasons, not including the seasons with Chan Gailey. So in the 10 seasons without Gailey, he's only played more than 12 games once. So I don't know. Will he really be the 17 game starter here? We'll have to see. Um, moving down here, and by the way, he's like almost 40. So maybe he is the most experienced, but who knows? Okay. Moving on. So you seem really excited about Antonio Gibson. I'm going to let you take the floor on this one. I don't really have too, too much here, but um, I I think the biggest thing people are concerned about was the toe injury. And I'm assuming that's something you brought up to Matthew Betts. Dude, you're basically the medical guy at this point. You're basically just the medical guy. Might as well start my own medical advice based off stuff that I've had on my (laughs) own podcast. Edwin Portis said this. Matthew Betts said this. (laughs) Well, let me first start out. Let's forget the toe injury for a second. Let's just look sure. at the Coming into the season, Antonio Gibson had 77 career touches in college. He had more catches than he did rushing attempts, 33 rushing attempts in his entire college career. Three or four seasons, and he had 77 touches. And then he came into the NFL to play running back for the first time in his career. And this is what he did. So he was fifth. Oh, you're cutting out a little bit. Hold on one second, Alex. Alex was about to get really deep into this Antonio Gibson talk, but it seems like he just cut out. Oh, no. (laughs) Come on, Alex. Come on. Come on. All right. Well, we wait for him to come back here. Um. It's just his face is frozen on the Zoom right now. Oh, oh, are you good? I'm good. You're back? I thought I lost you. No, no, no. I was sitting here. I I thought I lost you. Yeah, you froze on me. (laughs) You froze for me. Well, we'll see what what the recording says later. (laughs) It'll be interesting who they hear, whether it's me or you. Either way, welcome back to the show. Or me, okay. welcome back to the show, whatever. Um, the last thing I heard is you were talking about his touches, and he said he oh. only did, and then okay. he kind of – Yeah, so, again, he only had 30, 77 total touches in college. And then he came into the NFL, played running back for the first time, and this is what he did. So he was fifth in PFF rushing grade among 47 qualified running backs. He was fifth in missed tackles force per rush with .22, which is number five in the NFL – He was 15th in yards per carry at 4.7. He didn't have great yards after contact as he was number 33, but that improved from 2.6 in his first eight games of the season to over 3.4 in his last eight games of the season when he started to get the hang of things. He was number one in the NFL in stuff rate, which is tackles behind the line of scrimmage, and he only had that happen 4.1% of the time. He was absolutely ridiculous. And then Ian Harditz had him on his podcast last week to do 10 questions with Antonio Gibson, which is awesome. Antonio Gibson himself said the toe was fully healthy. He's kept up with the recovery. It's not going to be an issue at all. And 
his offensive core, sorry, his running backs coach himself said it's like night and day watching Antonio Gibson this year to last year. And Ian, I mean, he, sorry, Antonio Gibson on the podcast with Ian Hart had said that himself for the first like six or seven games last year until that game against Dallas on Thanksgiving, he was just running out there. It wasn't like playing like a running back. He was just out there running. And then he's top five in all these different PFF metrics this year. And I think the thing that I love the most about him is the fact that over the last six years, the number one overall running back in all of fantasy has had at least 87 catches in all six of the last years, the last six years. And five out of those six years, they had at least 100 catches. J.D. McKissick had 110 targets last year. Antonio Gibson had 44. That's at least 150 touches that went to the running backs off of targets last year. So he absolutely has the target upside. He was phenomenal as a rusher. Look at his highlights, man. I watched those, and I was so impressed. Again, I could go on and on about him all day, but the more I talk about him, the more I start to fall in love with him. Every single thing I read backs it up, and he's supposed to get even more of a passing game role. And the last thing I'll shut up about him, I promise, is the thing that Ian Hardis was asking him, okay, why weren't you in more in passing downs last year? You were a wide receiver in college. Why weren't you there? And his coaches have said this, and he said this in the podcast. It was a mental thing. He had never played running back before, and he's still trying to learn the playbook in a COVID season as a rookie. So they just weren't overloading him, and that was the biggest reason. Don't tell me that a journeyman running back on his fourth or fifth team and a J.D. McKissick, who's turning 29 years old this year, is going to take snaps away from Antonio friggin' Gibson. I mean, seriously. I mean, again, he was ridiculous last year. He said it was more a mental thing. And the coaches said that we're going to give him all that he can handle mentally at this point. He's had a full offseason to learn and all that. Again, I'm all in on Antonio Gibson. I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up as the number one overall running back in all fantasy football this year. Do I think it's going to happen? Absolutely not. But the path is absolutely there, especially with this offensive line, this offense. I can go on and on and on. Antonio Gibson for life, man. I mean, you, you convinced me. You definitely convinced me. Not that I was necessarily low on Antonio Gibson, but um, I, I think the, the biggest thing here is a, a lot of people don't realize how much last season was awful for these rookies, right? Like Justin Jefferson, obviously the outlier. He just makes it look like, oh, like why would any rookie struggle? But he's just such an outlier to you look at Antonio Gibson. You mentioned like the second half. That's when he really started picking up, picking it up. Cam Akers, second half. Jonathan Taylor, second half. I mean, you, De- DeAndre Swift, even in the second half, started seeing more of this work. A lot of the wide receivers, Henry Ruggs wasn't getting as much involved. So a, a lot of these rookies struggled last year. And going into this year, in the second year, we're going to see a whole bunch of sophomore explosions. And Antonio Gibson is definitely going to be one of those guys. Um, I guess my only concern with Gibson is McKissick did a great job last year as a pass catcher. Um, I wonder if there's any correlation to pass protection, right? Because you mentioned Antonio Gibson hasn't played running back before in the NFL, before running, running back at all before last year. So maybe there's something with pass protection where uh, J.D. McKissick might still be on the field for a lot of third downs and then adding Curtis Samuel and a lot of these other, what do you, what do you got? I have an answer for that. Is he a good pass have, protection grade? So last year among 65 qualified running backs, I don't remember the number, but Antonio Gibson was in the 30s out of 65 qualified running backs. It's not the best, not the worst. Um, J.D. McKissick was actually sixth in pass blocking grade. But again, that was his first season. He should improve. And the thing is that people are saying, okay, well, oh, well, J.D. McK- J.D. McKissick is like way better at pass blocking. And the thing is, 
at the end of the day, Antonio Gibson is 30 pounds heavier than JD McKissick. So you can't tell me that like 175, 180 pound JD McKissick, who's five, six is going to be thwarting yeah. off these 300 pound guys. I think that's just a last season thing, but that could be the reason. But again, like I said, I'm, I'm all in on him. I don't need to say anything else about it, but I think the pass blocking thing is definitely worth an argument based on last season, but I expect it to much improve last year. The fact that he was middle of the pack among all running backs after playing running back for the first time in his career. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely understand that. And I, don't, I think it's a little bit uh, – and, you know, there's not even so much to really go in detail here because I, I love Antonio Gibson too. But I, I think there's more than just size when it comes to pass protection too because it's about picking up the blocks. It's about knowing the playbook, knowing where to pick up the blocks and stuff like that. So I, I think Jamie McKissick, like I said, he's still going to filter in on some of these third downs. But De- Antonio Gibson's definitely going to have more targets than J.D. McKissick. He's definitely going to do great in the ground. My only other concern was a lot of these toe guys with the turf toes, they go into the season and they're like, oh, I'm completely fine. And then they get re-aggravated one or two weeks in, and then it becomes a lengthy issue. I, I know it doesn't seem like an issue now. As of right now, he could be fully healthy, but it, it just scares me something that might come down in the future. But and, and all that being said, I still love Antonio Gibson. I'm still drafting him. I'm not avoiding him by any means. But that's just the only – I'm just playing devil's advocate is the only things that might be holding him back from being a top five running back, really. Yeah. So let's move on to Terry, Curtis Samuel, Diami Brown. Let's look at these wide receivers because it's been just Terry for quite some time. It's been Terry and some bums. So um, Terry himself, as much as I bash on Fitz for being – you know, not great. He's still the best quarterback Terry's ever had. Um, Matt Harmon mentioned going into last year, Terry was the number one wide receiver against man coverage. I really don't think that's changed. Um, he finished as a wide receiver 20 last year with just four touchdowns with Ryan Fitzpatrick and some consistency at quarterback at the very least, like you said, at the very worst, Ryan Fitzpatrick's an average quarterback. And from all the interceptions he's thrown, He's very willing to chug the ball down the field and, um, you know, get into Terry's hands, which is one of the best, you know, he, he's been one of the best wide receivers in that aspect as well. So it's kind of a match made in heaven at that point. I think Terry McLaurin is definitely going to be a wide receiver one this year. Do I want to take him over guys like Justin Jefferson, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen? I can see an argument for it, but for me, it's going to take an over the top uh, type quarterback. It's going to take like, you know, if he's paired with Aaron Rodgers, he's a top five wide receiver easily, right? But I just, I, I just don't know if Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to get him to that point. Now you have Curtis Samuel there, you have Logan Thomas who's making a way. I talk about how many targets these running backs got, so I definitely love Terry a lot. Love him as a wide receiver one. Um, Curtis Samuel, my concern with Curtis Samuel is he's going to be playing on the outside. Because with Ron Rivera, that's where he played. He was an outside receiver. It wasn't until with Joe Brady last year he was playing in the slot. Uh, there was a recent report that came out lately that Adam Humphreys would be playing in the slot. He could see about 60 targets. So that's an area where I think Samuel on the outside, he's going to have similar week-to-week big game upside, but I don't think he's going to be consistent. And that's my concern with Curtis Samuel. Again, a very talented wide receiver. Another guy, Matt Harmon, has touted a lot. But uh, I, I'm just worried about that consistency there. Um, outside of that, I'm not really interested in Adam Humphreys at all. I'm not interested in Diami Brown, although I do love Diami Brown as a prospect. And if he does get a certain amount of snaps, he might be worth a look, um, especially paired up with Ryan Fitzpatrick, another deep threat guy. Do you have any thoughts on these wide receivers? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, besides Samuel and Terry McLaurin, I'm not interested in anybody. 
But I think Terry McLaurin is someone I'm actually starting to buy into, and I've been so against him all offseason. I think the biggest thing that I was – the reason I was off him is the fact that, okay, this guy has not finished as a top 20 wide receiver either of his two seasons so far. And, again, I don't think Fitz is the greatest quarterback in the world, so I don't think that helps him that much at the end of the day. And, again, people make the argument, okay, Fitz is number one wide receiver's average, like 150 targets. I mean, Terry McLaurin had 134 last year. He was still – like, it's not like he's going to get a huge bump in targets – but, and then the other thing that people say is, okay, well, like the other argument against him is the fact that last year, the second, besides Logan Thomas, the second and third most targeted wide receivers in this team had 40, 48 and 37 targets, which is pretty bad. Um, but again, Terry McLaurin, the reason I'm starting to buy into him is the fact is this simply over the first 10 weeks of the season last year, Terry McLaurin was the wide receiver 10 in fantasy, which is absolutely ridiculous. And then he played on not one, but he played on two high ankle sprains at the end of the season. He was playing on a high ankle sprain in each leg. And no matter what you say, look at any metric last year in, in, in for football, Alex Smith was a God awful quarterback in every single metric. Amazing story. I absolutely love Alex Smith. I'm not disparaging him, but efficiency wise and all the advanced metrics, Ryan Fitzpatrick was far better in every single one. Terry McLaurin was a top 10 wide receiver in fantasy with Alex Smith already last year at the end of the day. Yes, he has more competition for targets at the end of the day, but he just put up a 97th percentile season in beating man coverage and reception perception history since 2014. That's one of the top 20 marks ever. I think that's the correct number. But again, he was absolutely ridiculous last year. And again, the fact that he was a top 10 wide receiver before playing on two high ankle sprains and then he gets an upgrade at QB, I think it's definitely a reason to buy him. I think the wide receiver 12 price right now is fair. I wouldn't buy him higher. I wouldn't really buy him much lower. I think he's very fairly priced. As for Curtis Samuel, I really like Curtis Samuel. And again, I'm going to hopefully try to shoot down any, okay, he's not playing in the slot anymore rumors right now. And the fact that with reception perception, he's beaten the 85th percentile and beating man and press coverage each of the last two years. That's not just about the slot. That's in every single route. He's been really solid at the end of the day. But the thing I love about Curtis Samuel the most is Curtis Samuel's played four seasons in his four seasons. This is not, this is a true stat. He's improved his targets, receiving yards, sorry. Yeah. Targets, receiving yards, rush attempts and rushing yards all four years of his career, regardless of anything you want to say and any argument you want to make, he's improved those four things all four years. So why now in the best offense of his career, where he's going to be the number two option in the offense, are we fading him now when he's beaten guys on the outside at the end of the day in reception perception, he's a really solid player. He's only improving at the end of the day. And again, I think he's going to be the number two weapon in this offense inside, outside, upside, downside, no matter what you want to do. Curtis Samuel, I think is going to be someone that beats his ADP. Again, the ceiling play that I like to talk about a lot. I don't know how well he has that ceiling in this offense where I think Gibson's going to get a lot of targets. McLaurin's going to get a lot of targets. Maybe Logan Thomas will get a lot of targets. So I don't know if the ceiling's there, but I think he's someone that will absolutely outperform his ADP this year in fantasy. I can get behind that. I can get behind that. Um, All right. So that kind of leads us to our next point. Logan Thomas. I'm going to pat myself a little bit on the back here. I, I, I was very big on Logan Thomas. I got him in a couple leagues. Happy the way it turned out. Um, look, Ryan Fitzpatrick, as, again, as much as I've shit on him, this is also the best quarterback Logan Thomas has ever played with. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a team that can support more than one guy. It can be Terry and someone else. And I think that someone else is going to be Thomas. I think he's earned the right to be the number two in Washington, um, you know, Samuel obviously can step up into that kind of role, but 
we talked about Samuel playing on the outside, and that's because I think someone else is going to play on the inside. I think it's going to be Logan Thomas. Um, he had the most snaps in the slot out of any tight end last year. Any tight end. He played in the slot more than any tight end. Obviously, players can share the slot. There could be a tight end in the slot. There could be a wide receiver in the slot, whatever. But I think if you look at this offense, you look at the way it's built, you can say Terry on one side, Curtis on one side, Logan Thomas on the slot. That's deadly, right? That's very, very deadly. So if that's the way they want to run their offense, they should definitely do it. Uh, another reason I really like Thomas is because – he played, he was on the field more than any other tight end last year. Yep. His first, I mean, last year we're like, oh, you know, is Logan Thomas even going to be a thing? He's like out of the top 20 for some people. Is it worth even look at him? This is his first like real year as a starting tight end. And he played 97% of the snaps. For reference, Waller had the second most and he played 92% of the snaps. So Thomas is going to be on the field every single play. He's got the, he had the third most targets last year. He's going to play a ton in the slot. He's going to have a ton of opportunity for him. I, I just, he, he's not a top five tight end for me, but if I'm missing out on those early tight ends, he is very, very much one of those later round targets that I'm going for. If I miss out one of those top tight ends, he's a hundred percent going to be my target. Yeah. I don't have a super passionate take on him. I think he's fairly priced right now. Um, again, I'd probably rather someone like an Adam Troutman or Gerald Everett right now over him. Um, but again, I think that Logan Thomas is a very fair price right now. I think he's one of those guys, like you said, that has that top five ceiling, um, worries me a little bit about to get that target upside when he's playing with Gibson, Samuel and McLaurin, who are all going to get a lot of targets. But again, like you said, I think you made very good points. I think he's fairly priced right now. I wouldn't blame anyone for taking him where he's going. Awesome. Awesome. So we got one more team left, Alex. We got one more team. This is, we, we like to keep it pretty lengthy here. Uh, we'll, we'll try to get through this one a little quicker. Um, we may not be able to got my guy, Jalen hurts here. So <laughs> weeks 14 to 16, Jalen hurts was the quarterback three, the quarterback three. We talked about, so we talked about Ezekiel Elliott and we'll see how this ties in in a second. We talked about how bad his situation was and how it really couldn't get any worse. Well, let's talk about Jalen hurts situation, right? He had no wide receivers. I mean, Jalen hurts first year rookie with COVID, um, other than that was Travis Fulgham, who at that point still up in the air if he's even a good wide receiver. Greg Ward, Alshon Jeffrey was out. Deshaun Jackson was out. Uh, tight ends also were in and out. At that point, he did have Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz, but Ertz was having one of the worst years of his career. Goddard is still kind of coming into his own. That entire offensive line was injured um, between Andre Dillard, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, some of the names who missed large portions of 2020, if not all of it. And again, we talked about rookies and COVID. Well, Jalen Hurts is a rookie who during COVID was thrusted into a starting quarterback position, right? I, I don't think anybody going to this year was going to say, oh, Jalen Hurts is easily going to steal that starting job. I think a lot of us thought, like, you know, he's kind of there. Maybe he plays this Taysom Hill type role. That's what a lot of people thought he would be. I don't think anybody really expected him to be a starter. I don't think anybody expected him to do as good as he did. He threw for over 300 yards in two of the three games from week 14 to week 16. He did a ton on the ground. He had one game with over 100 rushing yards, another game with over 60. So he's got that rushing floor. We talked about what he did do. Let's talk about what's going to happen, right? So he's going into 2021. No more Carson Wentz. He's got Joe Flacco behind him. Not a threat at all. Um, He's got his offensive line back for the most part. He's got Heisman winning wide receiver now. He's got Jalen Rager going to year two for whatever that's worth. Um, he's still got Dallas Goddard. As of right now, he's got Zach Ertz. We'll see how that changes. 
I think this is going to be a more run heavy offense, but I think Jalen hurts can play into that. I think that's one of his best strengths as a runner. I mean, he had a four, a four, he ran a four five forty, which is very high for quarterbacks. So yeah, you know, I, I just think he's got the rushing ability as a passer. A lot of people think he's a little inconsistent. He didn't really perform that well, but with new weapons and coming into year two, I think he can definitely improve on that and he could shock a lot of people. So he's one of my favorite targets this year, quarterback. How do you feel about Jalen Hurts? Well, he, he's actually my flag plant for this year. The one player that I believe in more than anyone Boom. else. Uh, I absolutely love Jalen Hurts. And then some, uh, Ian Hardis did a study recently about quarterbacks that rush at least six times per game. I mean, Hurts did it over 11 times per game. And out of those, there was only seven quarterbacks to not finish as a top eight QB period in fantasy that had rushed at least six times a game over the last 10 years or so. And those seven, two of them were Tim Tebow, two of those seven finishes. Um, one of them was Kyle Orton, who only played half the season. One of them was Cam Newton, who only played half the season. Or two two of them were Cam Newton that didn't play the full season. And the other two were Colin Kaepernick, and I can't remember the last one. Colin Kaepernick was the only real one. But the point is that sure. I'm trying to make here is if he rushes at least four or five times a game, He's going to be a top eight quarterback in fantasy by that, by those numbers at the end of the day. I think he's better than all those guys that I just mentioned at the end of the day. And again, I think he's being drafted as four right now. He passed for over 330 yards and two out of his three starts last year. He was number three in fantasy. I mean, fantasy points at the end of the day, no matter what you want to do. I think the argument that some people make, okay, they have a year film on him is absolute crap. I think it's terrible because again, it didn't happen for Lamar. It didn't happen for Josh Allen or Kyler Murray. Those guys still, we're better next season. I think the fact that he's in a new offense and he was playing Carson Wentz's offense last year, they have a whole year to build the offense around him. And I think that's why they drafted guys like Devontae Smith and Kenneth Gainwell. It shows that they want to put Hurts in the best, best position to succeed and that they really believe in him. If they're drafting Devontae Smith and someone like a Kenneth Gainwell to help out this offense. I think the fact that the other thing that people don't talk about enough is his offensive line out of like their five offensive linemen playing full seasons their offensive line combined last year missed three and a half out of possible five seasons. So their offensive line starting five for the last season only played, I think 24 out of a possible, like uh, whatever the number is time 16 times six, 72, something like that games. Uh, again, they only, they, again, the point is they played, they missed three and a half out of their total five seasons at the end of the day and rushing quarterbacks just have a super high four in fantasy. So if he has a, a high touchdown rate, like Lamar did his second year, I'm not saying he's going to be Lamar Jackson. He's not going to break the record for fantasy points, but I think legitimately he could be a top three QB just because of rushing upside. And if he throws somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 touchdowns in a 17 game season, just because of the rushing upside, he's going to be a great quarterback next year. I think he's a cheat code as rushing quarterbacks are in fantasy at the end of the day. And he averaged over 10 rushing points a game last year. So when you're getting 10 points already, a 10 point head start on Tom Brady, and then you're playing fantasy and like going from there out the passing numbers. Again, that's just such a huge advantage. And again, Name, name me one quarterback that, that'll rush for at least 40 yards a game like Hurts will that hasn't finished as a top 12 quarterback right now. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Besides Cam Newton last year, who was still the QB 15 with the worst offense that he possibly could have had, he's like the only one that I can think of over the last couple of years. At the end of the day, Jalen Hurts is my guy. I love him. He's my flag plant. I'm all in on Jalen Hurts this year. We're both on the same train with that one. Um, yeah, I got him in my Scott Fishbowl. It took him in the third. I was really happy about that. I, I think, you know, the way I, I think you had mentioned too, the way the league is formatted, um, it's a little different, but yeah, I, I still love Jalen Hurts. I've been getting him in about all my leagues. 
Um, let's move on to the running backs here. So you mentioned Kenneth Gainwell. I want to talk about Miles Sanders real quick. So Nick Sirianni coming in first year as the head coach for the Eagles. He likes to run a committee and he likes to run a lot. Um, one thing he also likes to do is pass to his running backs. And that's something that we're going to see a lot this year. But will it be Sanders? I, I don't think it will. I don't think it's going to be Sanders who's going to see most of these running, most of these targets. It's going to be a combination between Kenneth Gainwell and it's going to be a combination of Boston Scott if he's still even involved. Um, as a receiver, um, Sanders dropped eight passes last year on 52 targets. Uh, that's not a great percentage, right? If you're eight drops on 52 targets is pretty awful. Uh, he, he was not efficient as a pass catcher, but where he was efficient was as a runner. Miles Sanders last year with a crap offensive line, crap quarterback play, no wide receivers to stretch that field. He had 5.3 yards per carry. Uh, he had the seventh highest yards, uh, seventh highest yards created per touch. And, you know, he, he was making it work on the ground. What really hurt him was his pass catching ability. Now, with Hertz, Sanders had 19.3 points per game. Without Hertz, uh, Sanders had 12.5 points per game. So that's a huge difference alone. And when you have a guy like Jalen Hurts, obviously he's going to take away some of the ground. But at the end of the day, Miles Sanders is going to be the best running back on this team he's going to be the primary rusher when it comes to pass catching Kenneth Gainwell has already been compared to Naheem Hines by Nick Sirianni so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out even if Miles Sanders loses a large portion or a decent portion of his targets he's still going to be a viable mid to low end running back too I have him uh, just outside my top 20 and uh, that's where I'll feel comfortable taking him this year do you have any strong opinions about this Philadelphia backfield no, not at all. Uh, I think Miles Sanders is fairly priced right now. I think you made a good argument. I don't really have any strong opinions on him. He's not someone I'll get in a lot of drafts right now. I'd rather Miles Gaskin or Mike Davis that I think have a higher like workhorse upside at the end of the day. But I think Miles Sanders is fairly priced. I don't blame anyone for taking them, taking him around RB20 right now. Awesome. Awesome. So let's move on to the wide receivers here. Uh, I <laughs> Looking at my notes, apparently I just – just uh, gave up on Devontae Smith and Jalen Rigger. I guess I kind of jumped around to the tight ends and forgot to come back to it. Ultimately, look, you have a rookie wide receiver, Heisman winning wide receiver. If you want to bet on the talent for, what is it now, a seventh round price tag, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with taking Devontae Smith as my wide receiver three. I think he can do fine in this offense, even as a rookie. I'm not expecting a Justin Jefferson type year, but um, finishing as a top 25 Top 20 wide receivers, definitely in the world of possibilities for Smith, especially if he plays anything like he did in college. So, I mean, he won the Heisman for a reason. Um, I'm fine with taking Smith where he's being drafted. Jalen Rieger and anyone else, any other wide receivers, I have zero interest in. I know Rieger is going to year two. I'm sure he'll have one or two games where it's like, oh, look, Jalen Rieger's there. Look, that's not Justin Jefferson. (laughs) Eagles. Can you believe they took – J.J. Arcega-Whiteside before D.K. Metcalf, and then took Jalen Rieger before Justin Jefferson. Like, this is just – so does that immediately curse Devontae Smith? Does that <laughs> – is that bad news for Devontae Smith? Do you have any strong opinions on these wide receivers? Or are we just not feeling the Eagles? <laughs> Other than Jalen Hurts, we're just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I, I think Smith's interesting. Again, he put up, like, 
possibly the greatest college season of all time. So I think if anyone's going to break that curse, it would be Devontae Smith. And again, it's something I've talked about earlier in the podcast. He has the ceiling. He's probably going to be the wide receiver one in this offense. I wouldn't be shocked if he led the team in targets over Dallas Goddard. I think that would be interesting. Um, but again, I, I like Smith. I don't love the player, especially in year one. But again, the target upside is absolutely there. And if, I, if I'm going to have Jalen Hurts as high as I do, he's going to have to do something passing. So whether it's Dallas Goddard or Devontae Smith, I think it's one of those guys. Um, one note about Jalen Rager, why I wouldn't take him. He was like the worst route runner in reception perception history. Nice. Like dude did not ever get open. He finished in the first percentile, which is as bad as it possibly oh. in beating man coverage last year. So yeah, he was pretty poo-poo. So maybe who knows, maybe he'll be better this year. But again, just someone I'm going to stay off of when he'd be the third option at best in this offense right now. I think Smith is a fair dart throw right now, especially when he could lead the team in targets. I really like him. But again, no one else in the wide receiver core that I really like. Maybe, sorry, Greg Ward truthers. I don't, I don't mean, <laughs> but not, two, no other two Greg Ward truthers that exist somewhere. Some, somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His cousin. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. I, I think, my, my prediction for Devontae Smith is that he's going to be the number one wide receiver against man coverage um, this year. I, I think that's, you know, because one of the guys Harmon has talked up this year is Brandon Ayuk as being one of the best against man coverage. Last year was Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson. I think Devontae Smith is going to be in that same category where we're going right. to see the kind of upside he possesses and potentially have this year two boom. Um, year one as a rookie, you know, who knows what the target's going to be, who knows how efficient Jalen Hurts is going to be as a passer, regardless of what he does on the ground, you know, passing is still kind of up in the air, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of how I view Devontae Smith. The last piece we have to go over here is the tight ends, Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, Zach Ertz is still a Philadelphia Eagle. We're like what, almost halfway through July, any day now he should be a bill or a Colt. Um, I, you know, he's made it very clear he's unhappy in Philadelphia. He wants to get out. That I assume it's just trying to find the right trade partner. Is it worth cutting him? I mean, from as far as I know, they can cut him for zero cap lost. So I think they're trying to get some sort of value out of him or whatever value they can. And I think they will. It may not be for another week or two and whatever. The interested teams right now are Buffalo, uh, Seattle, I think is out of the running. Now they have Gerald Everett. Um, yeah, Buffalo and Indianapolis seem to be the two biggest teams. The Chargers were also in, but now with Jared Cook and John Donald Parham and Trey McKitty, they may not be as interested anymore. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Zach Ertz situation. But we're just going to talk. We're going to talk about Dallas Goddard as if Ertz isn't there because that's more than likely going to be the case. I, I, I really doubt that we're going to go into the season with Ertz and Goddard on the same roster. But um, week 14 to 16, Jalen Hurts has had his best three games in that period. The Eagles tight ends at a 33.8% target share. If Dallas Goddard owns that, I mean, imagine Dallas Goddard with a 33.8 target share. I mean, wide receivers don't even get that. So, um, and, and like we said, if we're projecting this type of season for Jalen Hurts, someone has to be the beneficiary. And apparently, uh, Nick Sirianni thinks it's going to be Goddard because he said himself that he's going to be, that Goddard is going to be featured in this offense in 2021. Colts tight ends last year had a 22.2% target share. You wouldn't know it with the rotation of Mo Ali Cox and Trey Burton and Jack Doyle and whatever else they had going on back there. But overall, they had a 22.2% target share. And when I look at the Eagles and the Colts, I kind of see two similar teams to where um, 
the running back position, right? You have Jonathan Taylor, very good runner. You have Miles Sanders, very good runner. You have that pass catcher. We already saw Naheem Hines, and we saw Kenneth Gainwell being compared to him. Look at the wide receivers. Obviously, Devontae Smith is a rookie, but there's no one who really sticks out as a guy who's going to command a ton of targets, right? And the Colts last year, you had T.Y. Hilton, you had Michael Pittman, uh, you had Paris Campbell. You had a lot of guys who were just, you know, kind of there. And then you have the tight end group to where there's a mix of guys. Uh, in this case, it's just Dallas Goddard, though. So I think Dallas Goddard is going to be a value this year. I'm treating this, I'm treating this as if Zach Ertz doesn't even exist. Um, hopefully that's the way it stays, but what are your opinions on the, uh, Eagles tight ends here? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Dallas, I'm sorry, if Zach Ertz stays at this point, I mean, it's like two weeks until training camp starts. And I think when you're that close, I think it's just really hard for him to be traded. They know he's unhappy and everything like that. And they still haven't been able to move him. And I just feel like it's too close to them to be able to trade him. But regardless, I mean, I'm, I'm fine. Assuming he's not on the team. I don't think it affects Goddard's price either way. I think he's yeah. going to be a guy, but again, I think tight end seven right now is a, is a fair price. I wouldn't take him over Hawkinson. I wouldn't take him over Kyle Pitts. I wouldn't take him over Mark Andrews. But again, someone's going to have to do it. I think he's going to be really good for this offense. But I just have no reason why I should be taking him over Mark Andrews, Pitts, Hawkinson, or any of those top three guys. I think he's fairly priced right now. I think he's going to be a solid option going in the later rounds. And, um, yeah, I'm fine taking him where he is. But, again, I think he's going to be a solid player this year. Awesome. Awesome. So – that's gonna that's gonna do it that's four different teams four positions per team a little bit of a lengthy episode i hope you like that for us i know you like the lengthy ones but um thank you so much alex for joining me um i hope you had a good time i know it's a lot longer than you usually go on yours (laughs) so i hope i didn't wear you out too much i know you got a lot of other stuff you got to get to so you are on instagram but you're mainly on Twitter now, right? I see you're getting close to a thousand followers here. You're at fresh underscore fantasy underscore. Do you want to shout out your TikTok or anything else you got going on? Cause your TikTok's been killing it too, dude. I know TikTok's been, been done really well. So I think the best ways to find me, unfortunately, Instagram is definitely not the place for me. I hate doing graphics. So I've definitely <laughs> moved where I can focus my content more than other things. Um, you can find my podcast and any podcast platform at the fresh fantasy podcast. That is the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Fresh underscore Fantasy underscore. And then on TikTok, it's been really fun so far. We're going to be daily uploading Fresh underscore Fantasy on TikTok. Um, there's been some good videos. It's going to be daily content coming out every single day until the season starts and during the season. Um, there's a lot of good things going on. So please follow my TikTok, follow my Twitter, especially listen to my podcast, the Fresh Fantasy Podcast, if you enjoyed it. Um, but again, more than anything, Joey, thank you so much for having me on the show today. It was fantastic, and I'd love to join you again sometime, and I'll definitely have you on my show again sometime soon. So thank you so much for having, ha- having me. And for anyone listening to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast, thanks for listening. It was great to be here. Awesome. You're even doing the outro. I want to do the outro. I want to try, <laughs> <laughs> try it once. But yeah, so Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Next week, me and I think Faraz, unless he takes a little more of a hiatus on vacation, if Von Miller is truly there with him. Last time he went to Cancun, he literally ran into Von Miller and like some other people. But um, so Faraz next week, planning for him to be back. We're going to be doing the NFC West. So that's going to be a great episode. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time.